Cashflow Ninja, episode 201 with Tom and Tim Black. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lampshire here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at the journey of the passive income physician. My guests in this episode are Thomas and Tim Black from Nepali Capital. Nepali is a strategic asset management company focused on creating passive income streams for their investors. Composed of a group of individuals possessing 50 years of combined professional and business expertise, they employ a selective process to structure top-notch investment opportunities. Tom is a board-certified physician in emergency medicine. Prior to matriculation to medical school, he worked for Wells Fargo Financial overseeing residential mortgage loans. Him and his wife, Michaela, who is also a licensed realtor in Texas, have owned numerous single and multifamily assets and are well-versed in foreclosure acquisitions. The couple has designed, developed, and stabilized A-class multifamily assets in Texas, and Tom is also an active blogger in the healthcare community and passionate about translating high-income earners into high-net-worth individuals through passive real estate investing. Tim has spent his 30-year career at Six Flags theme parks and Great Wolf Resorts. Throughout his 30-year span, Tim became very well-versed in operations, strategic planning, marketing, sales, revenue, management, and real estate development. He is the former chief operating officer for Great Wolf Resorts, which owns 14 resort properties in North America. Tim worked closely with private equity to develop new resorts, maximize revenue through pricing and demand, digital marketing, and implementing new revenue streams. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobsher or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja to 44222. To ensure that you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page where previous guests connect with listeners and you get to access a community of people that are on the same journey as you are, where you can network, share information and ideas, and possibly find a partner for your next business and deal. When you do become a patron, I will also send you a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at CashflowNinja.com forward slash support. My friend Dave Zook says you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize, 
or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Gelt provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at geltinc.com to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at CashflowNinja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Tim and Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Michael. Good to be here. Good to be with the Cashflow Ninja this morning. Yeah, the, the Cashflow Ninja. That's right. <laughs> In the new studio, can you uh, can you guys share a little bit about your background uh, and your story with my listeners? Sure. So I guess I'll go ahead and start. Um, I got started in real estate about a decade ago, um, and it was really birthed out of. Uh, kind of necessity. And for me, I'm a board certified residency trained um, emergency medicine doctor. And early on in my practice and my career, um, I realized that a very long path in medicine really pinpoints people. And, uh, and if you have any, any interest outside of that, sometimes it becomes very, very difficult to branch out. And I started to realize all that time that I had, uh, I had spent in medicine learning my craft that uh, wasn't necessarily my happiest, uh, spending 110 hours in the hospital. So I, uh, the time was about, what, 2008 or so when the economy was changing. I had started buying some single-family homes uh, and realizing that there was a whole uh, uh, lifestyle change that I could be undergoing. And so eventually bought uh, some property and decided to uh, develop on my own with one business partner, a small 20 unit apartment complex from the ground up. And, uh, then I just totally got bitten by the bug and, uh, decided, uh, to leave my practice. I was a full partner in a private practice and uh, I left, packed up, moved and, uh, decided to completely retool my lifestyle and my family and go down, a, a kind of that, that road, not traveled, I guess we say, and, and not believing the hype, not believing you know, all the sheep and where, where we're going and listening to myself and listening to objective data. And so, uh, that's really where it started. And it's been, it's been a great, uh, a really great journey. And uh, I wrote a book and it's just been phenomenal. And that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, we can get into a little bit more, but I'll, uh, I'll pass the baton to Tim just to, uh, to not hog too much time up. Great. So, uh, my background is quite different and I think that's what makes, uh, Nepali Capital kind of interesting that my, uh, 32 year career <clears throat> up until, uh, time I formed the company was in, uh, hospitality, 
hotels and entertainment. So half that time period, I worked for Six Flags theme parks. I was the park president for most of the parks in the East Coast. Um, and then most recently was the chief operating officer <clears throat> for Great Wolf Resorts, a uh, national uh, uh, resort company that uh, is a coast-to-coast so was there for about 12 years, uh, actively involved in real estate developments. Uh, when I was a Great Wolf, we opened up eight new resorts, uh, most recently in Anaheim, California. So where it's not necessarily multifamily real estate, uh, hotels have a lot of room, so there is uh, some similarity. Um, and then had the good fortune of retiring early about a year and a half ago and taking some time off. And then Tom and I decided to uh, start Nepali Capital. Fantastic. So there's a lot of epiphanies that you guys covered in this and a great, a great read, the passive income physician copyright here uh, of, of the book that you guys covered and a lot of similar epiphanies that I had at one stage or another too, when it came to pass passive income, right? And the other thing that I would touch upon one, one epiphany that I had that you, you guys might as well, and we'll get into, into that was, that you had mentioned, uh, you know, Tom, the sheep doing what everybody else was doing. Right. And I think when you sit back and you look at it, uh, you realize that, listen, the people that are successful out there and that are building sustainable wealth and are successful, they aren't doing what everybody else is doing and just doing it better. They're doing it complete. They're doing the complete opposite. And the focus exactly. is a lot on cash flow. Uh, being on the Cash Flow Ninja podcast, rather than just the 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 wealth accumulation, right? The the pile of money that you build up uh, uh, up through the years. Share a little bit more about uh, around that the epiphany uh, on uh, the overall uh, approach and your philosoph- uh, philosophical approach to building wealth. Sure. So I think to go back a little bit deeper in some of my background, I was uh, I was what I would say a subpar high school student uh, to the order of of taking the SAT. And I think people that wrote their name on it and turned it in probably actually did better than I did. Um, so I had a limited opportunity to go to even a junior college straight out of high school. So I, uh, I joined the Navy at 17, left home, um, did five overseas tours, I guess, was on a destroyer for three years. And that's really where I think the core of my philosophical changes came into place. Having been somebody that was, you know, I'll say kind of an underachiever or maybe just striving for mediocrity as a, as a, as a kid. Um, what that opened me up to was trusting in yourself, whether it was learning how to weld something, learning how to needle gun a deck and paint, you weren't instructed and you didn't need to go to a course. It was, Hey, go figure it out. And that's really, I think where the foundation for me came in is trusting myself to just go do something and try something new. And it's okay if you fail. Failing is the absolute cornerstone of my philosophical, uh, my life, really, because if you don't fail and fail big a few times, then you really don't know how to get things right if you've always succeeded. Um, from the Navy, I just decided uh, I had a couple little mishaps that I was supposed to go to the Naval Academy, and that didn't quite work out, um, and made a couple other blunders, which have made me the person I am, and decided, hey, I'm going to go be a doctor. Why? Still really not sure to this day why I decided to do it. I think it was that it was really difficult and it was just this unbelievable bar that I had set for myself. And I just decided I was going to do it. And I went on a path and I did it. Once I got there, um, 
I realized that after the 12 years, maybe it wasn't what I thought it was. And so you've gone down this road and you figure, you know what exactly your life is going to be like. And a lot of those uh, the foundations that I'd set up early in my life, I was finding that I, I wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. happy doing it. So that's where really this, this surviving a career crisis, I was in a position where I was dealing um, uh, not, not certainly with, with a lot of professionals and things like that, but at some point your life becomes in an hourly wage. And that was not what I wanted. I wanted more for myself. Um, you know, uh, being an emergency physician, getting paid something hourly, you know, my, my income was sustained only by the amount of time I got, you know, I worked. So if I get hurt or any other things, then I was out of work just like anybody else. So it was kind of in essence, a high paid, a high paid plumber. I'd much rather be a plumber that owned the business versus a plumber that is doing it. Not that that's bad, but there's certainly ways to, ways to leverage uh, your experience. And that's exactly what hospitals do to physicians nowadays. So I know that was a long answer to the foundation of my philosophical uh, roots, but uh, I'll let Tim go on from there. Well, I'm sure as his listeners uh, correlate emergency medicine and plumbing, very similar. Uh, <laughs> well, you get where that's coming from. You know, an hourly rate's an hourly rate. It no, I get it. I get it. I just, yeah. it was kind of an interesting analogy there. <laughs> um, well, listen, I mean, I, you know, uh, my, background Tom and I were competing for you know probably the worst ACT scores in history and um, you know I, I think that much to what Tom said you have to put it on your back and, and prove it to yourself I mean I didn't graduate from college until very very late in life and I did that through correspondence um, I took a very different path and was not a good student at all um, uh, you know, I was at probably in the bottom 20% of my graduating class of 800. But, you know, you got to you gotta learn a little bit about yourself and put it on your back and believe in yourself. And mistakes are okay to be made. You just don't make the same one twice. There's a couple of good things that you guys covered there. The one thing that I've realized from a lot of uh, the guests that I interviewed to were saying, you know, I'm not a good student, but they're lifelong learners and they love education and they love educating which just ties into that school systems are not serving anyone. And right now, if you look at uh, what's going on, I don't know if you learn anything, any skill sets rather uh, right now. Uh, The other thing that, uh, that, uh, well, that actually empower you in today's information age, right? Um, The other thing that you guys touched upon too, is the, the concept of first trading your time for money and constantly doing that. And eventually getting that epiphany to say, well, you know, how do I exchange it? How do I turn that around and invest my money and get, get my time back? And I, you know, having a lot of medical professionals as some of my clients and other uh, professionals, uh, that is a, a one thing that I definitely see where a lot of them have that similar uh, epiphany with a, the long hours, the time away from family uh, and, you know, and more and more, you know, other factors that, that tie into that when it yeah. gets to a point where, listen, you know, am I just going to do this for 40 years and stack up a pile of money as high as I possibly can, uh, which at that stage I'm going to have to draw down? Or do I start to live the life that I love today, uh, positioning my capital uh, in, in such a way, in a favorable way, uh, in real estate in your instance, that I can start to live that life today from income streams that I have coming in. And the other thing that I'll, before I turn it over to you guys to comment on that is the feedback loop, right? I think that was an epiphany that I've seen a lot of medical professionals have as well. And some of my clients where, you know, gee, do I hand over my money for 30 to 35 years to someone 
and then find out if it worked 30 to 35 years later right. or do exactly. the leap right now. And I know within six months or a year that, hey, I need to pivot and make adjustments because the strategy is not working. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy. A lot of times the physicians, um, specifically with the healthcare profession, because you've, you've been educated to a level that you're sometimes your perception of what your intelligence is in, in any number of fields um, isn't true. And just because you're handing over your wealth to somebody uh, that may or may not, you know, usually does have more insights, um, I'd say, you know, they're still in a job. They're still, they've still got quotas. They're not doing it altruistically. Um, so it's a lot about knowing what you're getting yourself into. You know, when we, when I have many talks about physicians and, you know, they're, they're a certain subset of people that, you know, they don't, at least the in the time frame that I was trained, I think millennials are a little bit different in their, in their school thought, which I think is actually a good thing, but doctors tend not to ever retire. And I mean, this, this whole notion of retirement I look at is, is absurd to me. I mean, when I'm 65, I'm never just going to be that guy that goes out and it's going to be playing on the playing golf every day. I, I want to be vested and continue doing things. And I think the sooner I can get to that, whatever retirement means for you, whether you're 45, 55 or 75, learn to live on those terms and get there faster so that if you choose to continue working in whatever your profession is, your given field is great, but there's a wonderful thing about life when you wake up in the morning and realize that you're doing it because you kind of like it versus working and having to get up and you know, you've got to get in there to sustain your income. That that's to me where my retirement is, is, and that's where the book and kind of this idea and what Tim and I on the path we set out on, was with birth because of that. And it's a wonderful feeling to go all summer or to, to go into work when you want to, or to practice when I want to, um, and, and live life completely, completely different from where I was. Anything to add to that, Tom? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, in many ways kind of experienced that where, you know, I had worked for many, many, uh, public companies and the last, Five years of my career, I worked for private equity and was cranking 80, 90 hours a week and, and fortunately was able to be in a position where we sold the company several times and, and, you know, kind of retired as Tom said. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in shorts today and we're building this company and it's a heck of a lot of fun. But, you know, much to Tom's point, I mean, I don't get up anymore and say, oh, I got to go to the office. I got to get an airplane. It's a grind working for the, for the, you know, for the man, if you will. And that, you know, this, this, this brand and this company that we're creating is, is pretty special and a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. A lot of fun to do something that you're passionate about and That's right. get up to do it every day. Now, one of the things uh, also in your story is, you know, a lot of people take courses, they attend seminars, they invest in themselves, which is a great start. But then there's one step missing. They don't take action. They don't, right. they don't, they just don't fall because again, that fear of failure, right? Which right. goes back to the school systems that we currently have got to get that star on the forehead, got to have all the right answers. Uh, don't want to fail and, and, and look uh, uh, for lack of a better term, stupid to your classmates, right? Uh, because that's kind of the, the, the atmosphere that there is, but this is just the beginning of it. You guys took action. Let's talk about that first deal. Uh, some of the lessons that you learned, uh, and uh, sh- uh, just reflect on that. Yeah, my first, my first major. Kind of I know where this is going. What's that? I know where this is going. 
my major foray was, uh, you know, having a couple of rent houses, um, maybe six, seven at the time and thinking there's got to be a better way. And having not really gotten into multifamily and multifamily was this big kind of esoteric nebulous, how the hell would I ever do that? I found a piece of foreclosed land in East Texas um, when I was practicing there. Keep in mind, I was, you know, in a busy, busy trauma center in a group of 20, 25 physicians that, and that's, that's a whole nother story in and of itself. Trying to get one decision uh, passed through a, a group of 25 doctors is, is almost impossible. So I decided that I was going to go buy some land, this, this piece of foreclosed land, um, which about just under three acres, um, found a business partner and we were just going to, we were going to build an apartment complex because there was nothing in that city that I would, I would have moved and lived there um, for, for when we were moving out of town um, from Indianapolis to a very small East Texas town, there wasn't anywhere that all the, all the uh, apartment complexes were all C class, you know, maybe a B minus in the area. So I figured, God, there's, there is a certain population that would really, would really do well. So we set off, it took us about, I don't know, 13 months or so, uh, ground up, uh, like thousand square foot, 1300 square foot granite, stainless steel, really nice place, uh, did well, self-managed it. That was a whole nother deal. I learned, uh, wrote the business plan just by downloading things off the internet and figuring it out. We <laughs> got the bank to give us a loan. Um, did well. We, we sold it. We 1031 did and bought a bunch of commercial other light industrial assets. Um, it was a huge learning process. Uh, you know, we did fail several times with zoning issues. We had a pipeline that ran because in East Texas, it's nothing more than a huge basket weave of oil pipelines. Had a pipeline that ran right down the middle of the, uh, of the, of the land that we had to re-engineer. Um, there was no egress on the property. So we had to do special things for fire trucks to move in and out. It was anyway, we didn't let no uh, be, you know, kind of be our, our failure. And so we pulled it off and learned just a ton. And uh, I know where Tim's sitting there smiling because he came one March just after I had bought this land. And before he says it, when in Rome, I'm living in East Texas and I had moved from Indianapolis I had a disgustingly large jacked up truck. You know, it was a Chevy, like with a six inch lift on it. You really had to get a stairs to get in there. And that's what you do, right? Nobody's going to take me seriously in this town, especially subcontractors. If I roll up in a BMW. So I took Tim out there. Uh, it's one day to the property and told him what I was going to do. And this was what, seven years ago, something like eight years ago. And I'll let him go on his, his rant that I know he's about to go on. So, well, yeah, not, I mean, not, not much of a rant, but you know, two things kind of occurred to me. Number one, I, you know, when he took me out there, I had to have a stepladder to get up in this truck. Um, uh, so we got in and we, we cruised out there. And I mean, I, I distinctly remember looking at him and turning over and saying, do you need your head examined? It, because, you know, I mean, it was, it was a time when, you know, like Tom said, he was getting crushed in this, uh, ER and what Tom has told you is he also he's a father of very of four uh, young kids um, at the time under the age of eight um, and I'm sure the two of them were probably in diapers at the time so all, all I could think of is you know are you trying to you know set yourself up for you know life challenges or what but needless to say what I did learn from that is you know sometimes you got to take the bull by the horns and uh, you know, a lot of good lessons came out of it for Tom and that, that, you know, I've, I've said this often where uh, Tom tends to run towards fear 
where most people run away. They turn around, they look at fear in the face. They say, oh, let's run the other direction. Tom runs into the fire. Um, so uh, interesting, you know, great life story. Um, you know, there are some funny side notes that we want to tell your listeners about with management <laughs> things, but uh, right. let's save that for the, another podcast. Right, no, exactly. that's, so, that's so true because you can ponder when you look at something and you can come <laughs> up with thousands of reasons not to do something. That's very, right. very easy. But that one-seated reason down inside of you is you know you have to run, as you mentioned, towards fear because you have made a decision and you know what you wanted in life and what, right. you, what you wanted your life to look like. Um, let's tie that into what's going on today with your company. What are some of the uh, projects that you guys are investing in? Uh, some of the syndications that you guys are putting out. Uh, just talk a little bit about the, the type of real estate, what you guys are looking for. Is there a checklist? And then also tie, tie that in also maybe about a little bit what you guys are looking for markets that you guys invest in as well. Where are you guys uh, looking geographically uh, in the United States? Sure. Tim, go for it. So, um, you know, we, we started the firm just over a year ago. Um, and one of the things that I'm uniquely focused on is building a brand. Um, you know, I've worked for several brands, and I think that this space is, is unique. Um, our story is unique um, in the sense that it's driven by Tom. Um, so the the firm has been growing. You know, we're doing a lot of very interesting things for our investors. We just recently launched a investor portal uh, platform so that they can uh, create their own login credentials and go in and look at their investments and the performance of their investments, um, download their K-1s, all the financials, et cetera. And, you know, most companies wait for a while to do that, but we think that it's a really important building block and part of our foundation to build uh, the company and to grow it responsibly. Um, we we uh, have our company of uh, really three people. Um, it's, you know, Tom and I, and then shout out to uh, Abel, who is our senior vice president of finance. Abel comes from um, a uh, strong background in private equity, uh, he's a CPA. Um, he worked for KPMG and their transactional services uh, division. So he's bought and sold a lot of companies being on that side of it. And he figured out very quickly that he needed to turn the table, be on the other side of it instead of doing the diligence for somebody else. Um, and then most recently, we are in the process of bringing on a communications executive that will help us, um, you know, with PR communications and really to be able to tell our story uh, that really starts with a passive income physician. Um, so I'll let Tom talk a little bit about the markets and kind of how we think about our investments. Yeah, sure. So I would say going back, oh, three, four years ago, um, uh, love the Dallas-Fort Worth market, still do. Um, but as you probably know, Dallas-Fort Worth area has just been on fire for a number of years. Cap rates have, have become extremely compressed um, to the point sometimes it's hard to get those uh, those returns back for our investors that uh, that we tend to set out for. Not to say that there aren't those deals out there. Just, you know, for every 100 deals we crunch, we roughly get about 2.3, I think is about our data um, and our conversion rate. So, We've we've looked at uh, other locations around the country. We still own two, two, three assets, I guess, in Dallas-Fort Worth, um, all of which have turned um, 
amazingly, the last one we bought, or actually the first one we bought in late 2015 for just under 13 million. We have an LOI right now, an active LOI for just over 20. Um, so 24 months, not too shabby to turn uh, to turn investors uh, that quickly. But that is by no means the norm, <laughs> and that's not what we underwrite for. Um, one of our business plans and our goals for 2017 was to find two markets that we were really wanted to sink in deeply. Uh, we never want to be too uh, diversified um, as far as geographically. We want to really focus on the you know several maybe smaller markets and medium sized markets so that we can really get to know um, what's going on in the individual submarkets too. So this last year we had chosen Atlanta, um, looking at kind of the job growth through last year where things are going um, economically, where they were at the downturn, how they've survived that and what they've done. Um, we found a couple of really good submarkets in Atlanta that we liked. And we've been fortunate. We closed on, I guess, June, we closed on 284 units. Uh, just five days ago, we closed on another asset uh, in that area. Um, we're looking really hard. We've got some great relationships out there. And so when you say checklist, one of the things we like to do, obviously, is, is most people is a light value add. Um, we're not, you know, we don't have a bolt-on construction arm, so we don't do things too heavily. Um, you know, definitely a stabilized asset in areas that we know that have strong economic development and, and job growth. Uh, and the other thing with that is is uh, financing is obviously a large piece. Um, we tend to really go only with Fannie Mae. If you look back at historically where Fannie Mae has been, even during the downturn, you had a default rate of less than 1%, which is, when you look at the numbers, it's pretty amazing considering the rest of the country and where all the, uh, where all the markets were, that multifamily's always been very, very, very strong, even when housing took a bad downturn. So um, I'm trying to think of any other parameters, Tim, some big ones that, that we look at, um, you know, not only population density, but, you know, medium net house, you know, income, things like that, that we've got a sheet actually that we, we do follow. We've got a checklist of about 40 different things before we decide to go deep on some of these properties. So. You're listening to Tom and Tim Black on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to Tom and Tim Black on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and are back to our interview. You guys talk about a little bit some of the value adds that you're looking for. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on that? Exactly what sure. the opportunities you see? Yeah, so especially in the, in the vintage, the 70s, 80s, C and, and B markets. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things I forgot to add is where you've got Dallas being, say, uh, you know, a similar vintage of asset is, is 95 cents a foot. Um, there's only so much you can push somebody and or somebody that is making forty to $60,000. The way we look at it is if, if we're in another market and rents are at 60 to 70 cents a square foot, well, there's a much longer runway there. And one of the things we do is write, underwrite extremely conservatively. Um, any deal that we do, we only underwrite for about a 2% increase in, in rents per year, which is less than inflation. So if the deal works out that in a large economic vacancy, which is 
nothing more that uh, than you know concessions, debt, things like that. We tend to write underwrite for at least a fifteen percent, even in good markets. That being said, with with value add propositions, a lot of times you have you know if if water is a large water usage on a property, you know is there is there a position where we could go in and change all the toilets, the put aerators on the you know the fixtures? Um, is can the electric consumption be renegotiated so we're getting different kilowattage so we're re- reducing that? Are they billing back electricity? Are they individually metered? And then really more of the traditional value add you look at is you know how are the rents in that submarket? Who are the rents in that submarket? Is there an ability to do some you know some aesthetic changes whether that's amenities whether that's interior you know faux wood plank flooring that everybody does nickel fixtures. I mean, people that, that uh, in our renters, you know, we don't always do these things just for increases in value um, from the standpoint of monetary, but it can sometimes drive drive vacancy rates just to the point where we want to provide a nice, you know, and safe environment and lift our tenant profile so that everybody likes where they live. And that's really part and parcel to that. If you have a nice product, you tend to get a nicer renter and somebody that does appreciate those things. So that's really when I say more value add, that's where I'm, where we come across and how can we make the property nicer for a, not necessarily a logarithmic increase in, in, uh, in finances and NOI, but how can we make it a nicer asset? We have a lot of pride of ownership, a lot of pride of ownership in our, uh, in our, in our, in our portfolio too. It's uh, we definitely do not bleed them. Um, and just, you know, take cash out completely. We, we've spent a good amount of money in repositioning our assets and that's, we take a lot of pride in it. No, and I like that. I like that you guys are, uh, you know, sharing information. Clients can just log in and take a look at it because that's, you know, that's the big thing. Folks want to know what, what's happening yeah. to their money, what, what, mm-hmm. uh, how their money's performing. So that's great. Now you, uh, touched upon compressed cap rates, uh, in, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Let's talk about the real estate uh, landscape in general. I know it's specific to each market, uh, but if we look at at multifamily and and re- the health of the real estate uh, right now, where do you guys see? Are we in the market cycle? Uh, and what do you guys see uh, for real estate in two th- the rest of two thousand and seventeen uh, coming into two thousand and eighteen? Yeah, I think you know. I think a year ago, I probably would have said we were at the peak looking at it and looking at Dallas. But once I look nationwide and I see where other submarkets are, I, I'm not so convinced. I, I think when we look in Dallas specifically with all the changes and with all the infrastructure, um, certainly, you know, Harvey is going to have a big Im- impact on what happens with a lot of displaced people from Houston. And, and, and uh, you know, I think Dallas will actually, will actually benefit from that. Just like, you know, all the folks from Katrina, that's a horrible thing to say, but having, actually just went down there um, um, in my physician life. I went down there and helped for about 72 hours right at the peak of the storm to help out some hospitals and things. And it's a travesty, but when you look and, and we were actually, we had a, a scheduled trip next month going down to Houston to start looking around at some of those areas because things were starting to evolve in the real estate market. Um, and I think Q1 of this year had, had a, they had a record job growth uh, quarter and Ever since the downturn with oil, Houston has been kind of a kind of a ghost town, except for specific submarkets and around areas that were really never affected. Um, I think holistically, I think there's still a long runway for multifamily. When you look at the the macro scale of what's going on with baby boomers, with millennials, 
with housing prices being unaffordable for the vast majority of people, you know, lowest housing starts in our history. Um, I just, I just think there's a lot longer runway than most people are predicting. And I think it's a lot safer and certainly for me and, and stocks and bonds and, and, and everything else. I don't put any money on that just because I know the longer play is a lot safer in multifamily. Um, I just don't see, I don't foresee a time. There may be a position where interest rates change. And I think the interest rate change is going to drive the cap rate change um, because we won't be able to leverage as much, but I think the, the data will still support. And I think people are always going to need somewhere to be. So, you know, whether you're paying me in money or paying me bananas, I'll still have something. Absolutely. And uh, some of the things that you mentioned, the big demographic shift happening, and then also the changes in uh, behavior, buyer behavior, right. you know, mm-hmm. the millennials, it's a complete game changer because a lot of them are renting. Uh, mobility yeah. is key in this new economy uh, in this ever evolving new economy. Um, and, uh, they've, and also from a home owner ownership standpoint, they saw the pain that their parents went through right. uh, firsthand yeah. uh, in 2007, 2008 and 2009. So, uh, there's a lot of good, uh, trends playing into this rental renaissance, which is great for, uh, landlords and, uh, real estate syndicators in, in that, that way as well. Now, Guys, one habit uh, I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always learning new things. Education is a key building block and cornerstone of what you guys do in educating your clients. And I know that you invest in yourselves over and over. Uh, what are you currently studying and uh, what new skill sets are you guys currently learning? So I, I am a, a pretty voracious reader. Anything um, that is not medicine, and I know that sounds horrible, but I mean, I'm I'm a member of several, uh, of, of, you know, American Academy of Medicine, American, you know, four or five of them. And I get them in the mail and they're really tough and dense to get through. Um, my last book was, uh, you know, the Tim Ferriss book, Tools of Titans. I love that because I can tab through, um, you know, it's snippets of things. If I've got five, 10 minutes, I can go through and read that. Um, I'm a pretty big avid reader, just daily news and daily finance to see where and what and how things are going, even though I look at things on a much larger scale. Things small don't matter to me, but uh, but seeing a trend and looking and wondering how that'll impact our uh, our submarkets is is neat. Um, you know, I, we often have investors call and will ask about Korea, North Korea. How's this going to impact multifamily? And I I sometimes scratch my head and think, well, how would it ever? I mean, if if we're really worrying about what North Korea is doing and we get, you know, have some sort of nuclear Armageddon, I'm not really worried about how my multifamily assets are doing. It's just not something. It's just that Maslow's hierarchy of concern. Um, and the other thing I would say is, uh, man, that's, that's such a good question. Other than reading, uh, I, I just stay in touch as much as I possibly can with, with our investors and, and, and really listen to, to what they're saying and, uh, and keep, really, really good communication up with them. Um, my phone, you know, is, is, is always on. And so I'll probably take two, three calls sometimes a day, just fielding questions about what they, they should be doing randomly with, with their money. So uh, I, I would say just reading. I, I love reading anything finance and um, in real estate. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, one thing that we should point out also is that one of our pillars of our foundation for the firm is to educate and not only to educate ourselves, but our investors. Um, I like to spend time uh, studying the markets that we're in right now um, and that we're possibly going to. So a fair amount of what I try to do every day is, is you know, 
read the news in Atlanta, the business news, Dallas, Tulsa, what's going on. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to read through the tax code a little bit. Um, I started to uh, pick up a few books to understand the tax code a little bit more than I do. Tom is a bit of an expert in that area. And I'll tell you, I've had to have a cocktail or two to get through it. But um, <laughs> it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, and then, you know, kind of a new interest for me, as we spoke about off air, is life settlements. I find those very fascinating. And I'm sure that you're talking to your investors about those, and that's for another show. But uh, there's something very unique about uh, about what that is and, and how they think about it. Yeah, I find them super fascinating too. Having being, you know, having being in the medical community and looking at both sides of that, uh, it's amazing to me that it's it's stable. It's just a, it's a great it's a great tool if you can get over uh, that morbid kind of a sense. And I guess it's not for all people, but the people that have a common common understanding of that, I think it's a great tool. A really great yeah, tool. There are two things in the world: death and taxes. And that's boy, right. That's uh, right. Yep. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I looked at it the first time I came across it too. I kind of had, you know, that the the morbid side of it, and too, until I started to realize and started to see some of the other, you know, there's three sides of a, a coin. Right. Robert Kiyosaki says, you know, heads, right. tails, and the edge, and you see the value add on both sides, right. uh, and the uh, actually the amount more that folks are getting too for. Uh, on their cash value. So they're getting right. a lot more money out there right. to have in there. So there's a ton of value all around. But to your point, staying on alternative investments, I think it's a fascinating time because more and more people are realizing that <laughs> you don't you don't necessarily want to play in the, sa- the sandbox uh, of the Wall Street casino. Right. Because that's a very, very ugly one. You have zero control over it. Uh, you know, Tim, you just mentioned taxes, right? The way that you positioned also with your assets in some of those classes, stock bonds, mutual funds, 401ks, uh, we have a ticking time bomb as far as taxes <laughs> with all oh, yeah. of the, the things that playing into that. So to have your assets positioned favorably in asset classes, uh, you guys focusing on, on the real estate part of it too, is extremely important in navigating uh, the yeah. environment that we live in moving moving forward. So. No, uh, absolutely. Now, guys, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it uh, by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, you know, it's funny. I, my, as Tim mentioned, I have four kids, and if you ask them, my number one uh, rule for, for handling money in this house. And it's funny, but they'll, they'd be able to recite it if they were here and they weren't at school would, uh, would be buy assets, not liabilities. Every time they save their money and they'll come up to me and say, I want this video game. I said, is that an asset or liability? Well, it's a liability, but I could rent it to somebody and do this. It's like, okay, well, as long as you're understanding the concept of it, that's fine. So that's, that is definitely number one and do it early. Um, figure out a way to turn your liabilities into an asset if you have to. Um, and then I think the second thing I would say is, is don't hesitate. Even if you take a fraction of your income, try something different. Don't hand it over to somebody that is making money, telling you how to handle your money. Um, even if it's a small amount, just get started. Dabble in it. Dabbling and, and getting skin in the game will force you to educate yourself. You can, you can stay on the sidelines as long as you want, but until you have a seat at the table, 
um, you'll, you'll just, you'll either doubt yourself or you'll never do it. I'm going to echo a little bit of what Tom said. And that's, you know, from my life experience that I wish I would have done it sooner and earlier. And, you know, that's probably, you know, people hear that over and over and over again, but take the risk and jump in and jump in with two feet uh, earlier in life than later. Um, it's never too late, but, you know, if you can look backwards and, and say I did it a week ago or two weeks ago or two years ago, you're going to be better off. Um, I also think, you know, one thing that's critically important is is invest in your people skills. Um, I talk to my kids a lot about that and that, you know, 50% of, of probably my success has been that I think um, I'm pretty good with people. And I think that translates to to a lot in life and certainly accumulating wealth. So um, those are kind of my two. Uh, trying to think what the number three three one would be. Did you have one, Tom? Yeah. That was you? Oh, it was me. Well, then I then we had five. There you Perfect. go. Perfect. Now and a lot of good stuff uh, you guys discovered. Just to touch on what what you just said, uh, uh, Tim, and a big thing that I've learned too is you know uh, the wealth formula, right? A mental capital, education, uh, and then relationship capital ties into that, and that becomes financial capital. Uh, tying those two together. So absolutely, your relationships uh, and the skills, uh, people skills, uh, uh, is cardinal into that. And to tie in what Tom has said too, uh, you know, the asset versus a liability. It's so true. You know, it, it's it's great when you when you when you see people live their truths too. I had family went to Hawaii and rented a, a boat for a day or something like that. They chartered a boat. And it happens to be Robert Kiyosaki's boat that he's renting out in a company because nice. he, wants, he wants a boat, but he doesn't want to pay for a boat. No, exactly. He doesn't want to have a boat as a liability. Right. So he can t- turn a liability into an asset. I think it was Mark Cuban maybe too, and I might be uh, wrong in this, but I think it was him that wanted a private jet, but he didn't want to pay for a private jet because a private jet's a liability. So he bought a couple of jets, started kind of like a little charter uh, thing and now it's a yeah. it's a great it's a business producing income and is uh, positioned favor- favorably for tax advantages. Right, um, yeah. that's so, exactly no, right. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, I think what ties into a lot with your book, which will tell folks where they can uh, get a copy of this right now and get in touch with you as well, is uh, the different types of income, which I think. Uh, it takes a while for professionals to understand that as well. And then they have that epiphany, right, of earned income, portfolio income, and passive income. And they understand that this, you know, they're tra- still trading their time for money and right. being taxed at the highest rate as part <clears throat> of earned income, where uh, passive playing into the passive income again, positioned favorably for taxes. Guys, where can they grab a copy of the book, uh, learn all about what you guys are doing, the investments that you're in, and reach out uh, if they're interested uh, in starting a conversation? Sure. So the easiest would be to go to our website, which is napalicap.com, and that's N-A-P-A-L-I-C-A-P.com. Reach out to us anytime. Um, There's a contact form in there. Um, You know, Of course, I'm on LinkedIn also. People can get me that way. The book is on Barnes and Noble or Amazon.com. Um, if you hit us up and want to talk to us, I'm sure you could probably figure out a way that we'd sneak you a copy without having to do anything. We, we tend, we don't, <laughs> I didn't write this book to make money. Um, you know, I, I did it because the best feeling, and I've been doing this long enough with some, some very good friends initially that were my investors. And when that light bulb goes on as a professional or anything else, 
that you change their mind and see it to where they were, you know, making very good money, half a million dollars or something a year, but paying 200 and something thousand dollars in taxes. When you mitigate that tax liability um, and change things to have them see that they're actually working towards something. And then when it becomes to this, this great breakover point, uh, it's the best thing in the world. And they'll call you up and say, Holy crap. I, I didn't even know this was possible. And you laugh and you say, well, that's why the hospital's doing it to you. So, so it's just this world of private equity. We all live in. So anyway, yep. So that'd be the easiest way, Tim. You know, oh, I've also, we've also got a blog, um, the passive income physician.com. Um, we're in the process right now of kind of retooling and branding that because we are now, uh, we trademarked that name. So we're going to be changing some things. So we're just having a ball and we'd love to hear from anybody or anything, any questions. Yeah, and I would say that it's pretty simple. Thomas at Nepali Cap or Tim at Nepali Cap. Um, we answer emails quickly and rapidly. So, yep. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, my listeners and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for, uh, for us uh, on this topic and sharing your story. Great to be here. Thank you very much, Michael. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guests, Tom and Tim Black on the Cashflow Ninja today. Many listeners have taken action and received a personalized game plan of how to collapse time in their financial plan and become financially free in 10 years or less. If you're interested in a personalized game plan and custom roadmap to achieve financial freedom in the next 10 years or less, you can register for a free webinar at cashflowtactics.com forward slash ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life, so if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page and that awesome Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at cashflowninja.com forward slash support. Geld Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. 
banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Gelt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at CashflowNinja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinupsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. 